This is EdTech Weekly. I'm your host, Ricky Zager. Welcome to the show. I'm so sad once again to say that Matt and Meredith, nor Meredith, are with us, unfortunately. Um, Matt did record with us uh, the other night, and when I went to press save on the program that I used to record him, the program completely just shut down and I lost it. So it is me alone, and I apologize again. We're going to get this together. For those of you who are interested in how I do it, I do. I use Adobe Edition to record my voice um, through a microphone on my computer, and then I record the computer audio through a program called ScreenFlow. And that is normally really reliable and really good, but I went File, Save, and as I started to hit the Save button, it just crashed. It happens. Um, but I did want to actually get it out to you because I'm on vacation this week coming up, so I didn't want to have a, too many weeks out here with you guys thinking that we might be done. But we're not, and we're working on it. And again, we try to make it better, and occasionally we fall short. So uh, we just appreciate those of you who continue to listen on. So I will get to the first story. Ed Surge brings us a story about how health and wellness may well be the next significant impact in ed tech. And the story does talk about how health and wellness are slowly being more integrated in our lives, of course, with things like Fitbit, uh, Google and Apple health apps as well that sort of come baked into your devices. Uh, as the ed tech world looks to leverage this trend, the article asserts that you know massive online open courses or MOOCs and other online learning could use this data to personalize health and wellness learning. I do sort of find this interesting because certainly they could leverage uh, that health and wellness data to you know maybe curate a, a health course or something like that. Uh, some of these things like Coursera may be able to use that. Um, you know the possibilities in education are, are pretty awesome, but there's all sorts of issues when it comes to health data. Of course, there's privacy, there's HIPAA, there's there's many things that go into it, and it's a different level when it comes to uh, especially public education. But I do think that, you know, these things can make inroads, and, you know, at some point, it's going to allow people to really either catch things early, because we certainly have the data, but we don't all necessarily know how to analyze the data. So perhaps it's app-based, perhaps it's uh, online courses or other things that use that personal data. But it, it is interesting. And, you know, um, of course, Matt, he did record the show and he did have some pretty good things to say. But basically, when it comes to, you know, how Google leverages, uh, you know, this data to make money off of it, you do run into problems when it comes into public school and those types of things. So something to look out for, but just definitely check out the article. Um, I have a link to it on the website, and if you don't go there, you can just obviously search Google, and you'll find it pretty easily. Um, our next story, The Next Web interviewed an educator and a programmer who are looking to reignite ed tech by using gaming to engage 21st century learners. Now, the interview basically just asked them how they got started and how they think Education Curb, which is the company they founded, is helping engage 21st century learners. A couple of comments stood out to me in the beginning of this. First, they cited that uh, 2013 poll that said 97% of teachers think ed tech increases student engagement. And that's pretty overwhelming, uh, especially considering that we really don't have data that shows ed tech really is responsible for improving either dropout rates or test scores or any of those things. I think that may kind of go hand in hand with the fact that 
everyone has devices. Everyone seems to be locked in on those devices. So maybe that's what engagement is, what they're thinking when they think of ed tech. Uh, certainly the wow factor for a lot of it, students, the first time they get a device or the first time they get on a program, they're definitely more interested in it than the normal textbook and chalkboard kind of stuff. But, you know, there has to be more than just that wow factor. So I, I can see why teachers think that, but it, I, th I found that interesting that it was that overwhelming. Um, you know, Matt did make some really good points uh, when he when we recorded this um, and basically talking about how, you know, the, this article mentions that the app world is sort of flooded and it's, you know, that's why these people design gaming and, and, a, and more of a web application type of a scenario or a program. Um, but Matt's, I think, assertion probably rings true. And that's that regardless of how saturated a market is, if you you know create a good product, it's going to make it. And he specifically referenced uh, Minecraft and that scenario of how you know that really developed on its own because of how open it was and it has turned into a really good educational tool so you know these things are going to either be found if they're good educational tools or if they're not even thought of to begin with as educational tools they they could turn out that way so again check out that story as well on the website edtechweeklyshow.com i'll have a link there and then on our final story um ed week magazine has an article that dives into some data that actually came out a little while ago but it's talking about how the popularity of edtech is not necessarily linked to the product's impact so you know basically what that means is like that percentage we looked at before 97 percent of teachers find that edtech is more engaging but not maybe not necessarily linked to how impactful it is so it's kind of an interesting take here. And there are a lot of interesting observations that they made from this. And it's data that was funded um, through SRI by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Once again, we hear them, and they certainly have their hands in a lot of uh, educational technology and also trying to figure out exactly how to, to use it to actually benefit education. Um, one of the more interesting observations was also that there's an inverse proportion of the scale of ed tech being implemented to its effectiveness. So small scale ed tech is usually more effective, you know, small classroom deployment type scenarios, maybe even a school level, but the larger we get more district, state, you know, countrywide, if there even are any of those, um, the effectiveness is much smaller. So definitely an interesting thing to look at. Um, and also, it, this isn't entirely a shock, I don't think, but the point that ed tech ha that has professional development uh, planned and included was a lot more successful and that's something that Matt and I have been talking about for a while and I'm sure most people feel that way uh, and believe that but there just doesn't seem to be the planning there I mean again when I was in the k-12 world um, almost a year ago now is when I left but it definitely felt like there's a lot of large-scale ed tech that's being implemented but training is not there and follow-through is not there, and a lot of these things fall flat largely and they end up just kind of putting money into something else in the, in the following years. So, you know, it's a really difficult problem, though, when you look at it from terms of a small ed tech company. There may be a small ed tech company that's got some really great innovative ideas that really actually could impact education, but because they're small, you know, it's hard for them to get the type of money that they need to sustain 
their company. So, you know, small scale is more effective as we see by looking at this data from, from the article here. But how do you get those small companies to be successful fast enough in order to stay afloat? It's a, it's a really tough issue in ed tech right now. And a lot of times we find ourselves going towards the larger companies, um, you know, your uh, Hofton Mif- Hop Mifflin, or I'm sorry, uh, the name is, is, is escaping me at this point in time, but it's something like that. And I know there's some other ones as well, some large publishing companies that we sort of go to because of the fact that they can charge probably less money because they're a larger scale. Um, and that just isn't as effective. And that's what the data shows. And so I think what what makes life easier for schools is to get these big companies but at the end of the day the money is not really showing good returns because we're not these systems that are that are being put in place because of the fact that they might be a little cheaper have not been proven to be very effective so it's kind of a tough spot that edtech is in you know when you get some smaller companies that are doing some cool innovative things it's really hard for them to stay afloat because without large scale adoption uh, it's hard for them to get enough money to keep going, but larger scale adoption for them means they're going to need more money to make it happen, especially quickly. So it's just, it's an interesting sort of, uh, give and take. And it's something that you should definitely look into that article and some of those, some of those, some of those data points that are pretty interesting to look at. Um, again, I do apologize that, uh, Matt's not with me again. We did record and unfortunately, uh, that file save right when I hit save it just went away and said bye bye sorry you're not going to get the recording so we'll have to think about some redundancies so that when he does he is there recording with me and when Meredith is there recording that we can uh, make that happen and make sure we don't lose it if any of our listeners out there have any advice on things that I can do to use I told you my setup basically I record my audio through Adobe Audition and then I record their audio through a screen capture program called ScreenFlow and I've, I've, I've meddled with and tried to get it to where I record it all from the same program and then also have a backup on recording maybe, but it just doesn't seem to work well. So if anyone has any suggestions, please email the show, uh, edtechweekly at gmail.com. And if you want to interact with the show, definitely check out the subreddit, edtechweekly.reddit.com. And we definitely have some people on there sharing. Somewhere around 40 or something people are following that, which is pretty cool considering we started with zero when I, when I created that. Uh, somebody just recently posted an article that they wrote in their blog about Twitter and uh, you know how to start having some uh, followers and how to start a sort of a Twitter identity. So if you want to check that out, it's definitely at edtechweekly.reddit.com. Uh, go there, share some stories. It's uh, we're building a little community slowly but surely, and it's pretty cool. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter uh, at Four Tech Teachers at the number Four Tech Teachers, and if you follow me on Twitter, then you saw my tweet where I was a little disappointed about the recording not working. And then uh, we have Matt's favorite number. And unfortunately, I lost all of the gold from the recording that he gave me talking about our number that he really loves so much. And of course, that number, 30592TECH2. 30592TECH2. Again, apologize that uh, we weren't able to have Matt and Meredith with us, but I have a good feeling that that's going to happen soon. And I know that they bring a lot to the show. So uh, without that malfunction, they'd be here. And hopefully, uh, I'm on vacation next week, but hopefully the following week we'll have both uh, Matt and Meredith with us. And we'll see you next time on EdTech Weekly.